My guest today is Kristen Hanley. He's the founder and president of Defiant Strategies, offering comprehensive communication solutions for progressive leaders. Today, we're going to be discussing the State of the Union and everyone's favorite topic, taxes. You're listening to the Unframe of Mind Show, the place to have the most mind-stretching, unprotected intellectual intercourse of your life. Your host, Daniel Wagner, battles the forces of evil by lobbing fiery balls of truth, reason, and evidence over safe room walls. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Unframe of Mind Show, where we have uncomfortable conversations without a condom. I'm your host, Daniel Wagner. And I'm Anthony Trawick, and you um, still suck at doing recordings. Hey, you need to stop it. See, this is pre-recorded, <laughs> so you, nobody would know that. At but I rate. still have to throw that in there. We need to do like an outtake version of the show. You know, if we did, we'd have so much material. And today we're talking with our guest, Christian Hanley from Defiant Strategies. Uh, it was a funny uh, funny way we came about introducing to each other. Uh, he kind of got roped into a Twitter thread that he had no idea why, and we ended up talking, and here we are. Welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's always amazing, man, how, how we how we meet people. Some, some people we meet, just, you have no, like, how did that even happen? <laughs> like, if you find yourself in a situation like that, make sure to tag me on Twitter. I've just I've gotten to the point now where I've gotten so comfortable with Twitter. I'm starting to post on other people's stuff and not realizing it. And it's like I wake up because I you know I work nights. So mm-hmm. when I get up in the afternoons, I'm like, wow, I got a bunch of little hearts and a bunch of little Twitter icons at the top. And I'm like, what's going on? I get to look and I'm like, oh, okay, well, people are responding. <laughs> That's what happens. Twitter people respond. It's a lot more active than than uh, than Facebook is. I've noticed. Yeah, it is yeah. a lot more active. Yeah. Right. Although one thing I will say is that at least on Facebook, you can have thought out conversations and actually write things out. Twitter is just, you said that. No, you said that. No, I meant to say this. And it's like, all right, all right. I, you know, I have like a certain threshold for Twitter. I just can't stand the bickering after a while. Hey, let me, let me see if you agree with this. I, I do this thing where the only time I block people is if they are disrespectful. Okay. How's that sound? Just, I mean, not not because I disagree with them or not because they even, you know, maybe if they called me names, I might let it slide if they, you know, then later say, oh, sorry, didn't mean to call you that. But if you're just straight up a dick, uh, I'm going to block you. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm not, I don't have time for that. See, okay, so I, you know, that's that's probably a healthier thing, but I'll t- I'll do you one better. This is a new thing I've started doing. What you got? When when someone is dickish to me, I, I won't initiate the dickishness, right? But if someone is going to act like that toward me, I will just kind of dial it up a notch and just whatever their arguments are, just tear it up into pieces and throw it back at them in the most condescending way possible. And then when they have no comeback, it's like, all right, so maybe we just don't act like that. Like, can we just be adults and not act like that? <laughs> or maybe they were like, oh, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm, I got to go eat cereal. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's a real problem that that people um, tune each other out. And it, it does – it creates a scenario, creates an environment rather, in which polarization is made possible. And then you can have – someone come in, whether it's a politician or anybody else who wants to drive a wedge there, you know, it, it makes that possible when you when you tune people out. Like, I agree with you. If you if someone's being verbally abusive, if someone's being, you know, just rude, they're not contributing to the debate, then, yeah, I mean, get rid of them. But if it's just a simple disagreement, well, like, I'm sorry, this is a democracy. That's that's part of the game. <laughs> I'm sorry, Christian. Did you say something? I was I was tuning you out again. I, I apologize, man. <laughs> So 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 do the do the the audience and myself a favor since we're kind of just yeah. meeting for the first time, really. Yeah. Um, do me a favor and tell us about you a little bit. Let, let me 
let me hear about what you do or what, what it is you you try to strive for. What are your goals? Like, just give me kind of a, a quick couple minutes on that. Yeah. So, so you know, I actually, my background is in law. I, I train as an attorney, but really what my, my passion was, was helping, um, whether it's people who are running for office or people who are in the, the non profit sphere, even some people who are in business, but they're trying to, you know, do something moral, do something ethical with their business. I like to try to help them uh, communicate their story, their narrative to the public so that they can actually get out there and achieve their goals and and move ahead. And so uh, whether it's Democratic candidates or it is, again, nonprofits, certain ethical businesses, that's what I do. It's their communication strategy. It's how they interact with the public, whether it's the voting public. Uh, or anybody else. And that's what I love to do. I mean, the reason why is that it's at, at, at the heart of it, it's, it's storytelling, it's strategy, and it's, it's uniting people around, um, you know, shared ideals, shared values. So that's, that's what I have fun with. Oh, you guys still there? No, we're still here. We're, uh, oh. it was getting a little, a little warm in the, in the studio. So we've decided to probably <laughs> open the door to, to let it, Got it. uh, <laughs> It's like almost 70 degrees here right now. Yeah, it hit 70 here as well. And I'm like, where are you? You guys are in Tennessee, right? Whereabouts? Yeah, we're, uh, well, I'm in Murfreesboro. No, you're in Reedyville right now. Well, yeah. But too many yeah we're, we're in a little tiny town in the middle of Tennessee somewhere. The, the town, as a matter of fact, is so small that literally there's people living here that have never heard of it. That's funny. Yeah. That's I wrote, funny. I wrote, I wrote that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I asked because uh, my my family, we actually, uh, we went on a family road trip to Atlanta this past summer, and we went through uh, eastern Tennessee, and eastern Tennessee was just gorgeous. I mean, I could have just spent so much more time there. It was just so much fun. Absolutely. My parents live up that direction toward the foothills of the Smokies, and we love going up there. Yeah. Yeah. We cut through like uh, Johnson City and, and Knoxville. It was just it was awesome. Right on. So let's get down to business. We were here to talk about the State of the Union. Um, what What is it? Uh, what, what are you expecting to hear tonight? We're, we're going to be covering it live. So I was just curious what okay. you what you think we're going to hear tonight. Well, you know, so I got I got an update just before uh, coming on your show. You know, one of those news alerts on my phone. Um, and it was talking about how how Trump is looking is is basically upset that his the the drafts of his speech he was getting from his people didn't have enough barbs at the other side, didn't have enough attack lines on Democrats. And so what I'm really just concerned about is that this won't be uh, a traditional state of the union. It will be just another sort of partisan, another sort of kind of political event, in which case it's it's like, what's the point? I mean, it, this is not meant to be a rally. This is meant to be the state of the union for crying out loud. So that's kind of what I'm I'm afraid of, um, is you know this is not an appropriate place or time to be to be you know attacking the other side to be attacking each other. This is this is the one time the president, any president at any time, uh, is is there in front of the whole country, the Supreme Court, both houses of Congress, and can really try to bring people together around a certain agenda, a certain message. And I just don't think we're going to see that tonight. I mean, I, I I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Well, a couple couple things. Uh, first, I I did hear that Nancy Pelosi is bringing a couple of transvestite uh, soldiers to the rally with her to the to the State of the Union with her. Uh, as, I think as, she's as, bringing transgender. I'm sorry, tra- trans- tra- transgender. <laughs> my my mistake. <laughs> I just heard it on the news a little while ago as I was driving in. That'd be that'd be wildly different. <laughs> that would be a wildly. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. But yeah, she's bringing that, and, and that that's that's the kind of thing that, that that I think that a lot of people are trying to do is is get their own little 
stabs in even from behind the scenes just to just to get under his skin. <laughs> so well, I, I, the, the other thing what I was going to uh, not ask, but say rather is that let's say hypothetically that he did get up there and he did give a perfect state of the union address. It was everything that you one would hope for. How yeah. likely is it that you think that it is still going to be turned political regardless of what he says? I mean, I think that's the reality of our, our present time. I don't think that that's avoidable at this point. Um, but I, it's one of those things where action speaks louder than words, right? So if he were to give that ideal speech, uh, the the response from everyone outside of his fold is going to be, okay, great. You've said these things. You've you've promised these things. You've you know pointed these things out. Let's let's see some action on those. Gotcha, gotcha. There, there was something I heard earlier um, as far as we're talking about political discourse and whatnot. I'm going to butcher this right now, but I can't remember which who, – who's, who's the guy right now that's getting in all the trouble for the yearbook photo right now? With the, oh, the, yeah. That's the governor of Virginia. Right. Right. I, w- I was listening to a conversation about that on – I believe it was Rachel Maddow's show. and. Okay. They were discussing how uh, it seems like right as he's about to have to resign, all of a sudden there's these sexual allegations coming up about the guy who would end up taking his place if he did resign happens to be a black guy. Um, There's there's a lot of there's people on that show that were sitting there saying that, well, if if this is if this is what's going on, then it seems awful funny that just right before he was about to, you know, gain that political office that all of a sudden these stories of sexual allegations come out and we need to wait until the facts come in we need to wait until we see you know some kind of proof because aren't we innocent until proven guilty no because we saw what happened with Kavanaugh. that's the first thing i thought uh, that's the very first thing i thought i said this is a different because i listen to rachel maddow quite frequently and this is exactly the opposite of what i was hearing on the show when kavanaugh was going through and i guess the reason i bring that up is because Again, hypothetically, if Trump gives the perfect State of the Union address, um, you're going to see people interpreting it in their own way, obviously, which I would I would hope so. But you're going to see them kind of purposely ignoring, you know, other things that they had previously said in order to fit into their narrative. And that that to me is gross. (laughs) Like that's the stuff that I can't stand. Yeah, I mean, well, so I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't catch the segment you're referring to, so I don't, I'm not sure who was saying that. Um, the the impression I get though, and this is again, I haven't seen that segment, is that I think that those people um, are going to be within the Democratic side, that is, are going to be in the minority um, who are kind of rushing to to Fairfax's defense. I mean, look, he's he's. The accuser has hired the same law firm, right? The same law firm that was retained by um, Dr. Blasey Ford, who had accused uh, now Justice Kavanaugh. So, you know, this is something that looks like they're going to stick to the story. They're not going to be backing down from it. Uh, I I do want to hear the details. I do want to hear the facts. But uh, I think that the people who on the Democratic side, that's all I'm speaking for here, who uh, previously were anti-Kavanaugh but are now defending Fairfax, I do not get the impression from what I'm hearing outside of Rachel Maddow's show that they're going to be in, in very large numbers. Right, I got you. There's there's a number of things that I suppose Trump was supposed to be covering tonight on the on the uh, State of the Union. I was just, uh, I, I have a feeling, of course, we're going to be hearing a lot about border security and the border wall and 
I just wanted to get your take on how they've been handling how that whole situation has been being handled. And and what are your thoughts on that between like the the government shutdown and between all the political bantering back and forth? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, so from what I gather from what you said in your introduction, you know, you're all about sort of reason and evidence and all of that. Well, the experts on the border, the people who actually, you know, are in border security, there the statistics show that that illegal crossings are down i mean right now there's there's an incidence of having more refugees because of what's going on politically at this moment in central america but overall crossings are down net migration from mexico to the us has never been lower you know so the 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 crisis aspect of things is really a political sideshow and even when we talk about the need for security to begin with right just the the general maintenance of the border Democrats, everyone, Chuck Schumer, they're all like, yeah, we we can we can negotiate on border security. No one's saying no border security. Don't forget the 5.7 billion Democrats were okay with as long as it went to things like having immigration judges, having hiring more people for border security, investing in drones, investing in surveillance, all these things. It's just the idea of using 5.7 billion to take ranchers land and put up a wall that's not going to work. I mean that that's the real problem. It's it's the vanity project versus evidence-based policy. Oh yeah, when when you phrase the argument that way that to to take ranchers land and put up a wall that won't work. I mean right off the bat those that's already going to set the the opposition on, on the defense. Um I'm already hearing a lot of real real uh what's the word uh What's what's the damn word? <laughs> I'm brain farting. It's it's the language that's being used, and and what what in, just in your statement alone, if I take it at its own merits, that's just completely inaccurate. Um, I do understand where they're coming from, but I feel like by trying to frame the argument that way, you're not going to win any hearts and minds at all when you're sitting there trying to talk to the other side about and convince them that maybe the wall is not the best strategy. Um, because what we're seeing right now is a situation where you have a bunch of people that. Uh, voted this guy in on the promise that there was going to be a wall. Um, well, now there's this giant show about him talking about putting up a wall, and they're like, "Yeah, we want the wall." So, for anybody to like step in between them and that wall that they want, you got to be like real careful about making sure you frame it in such a way that they can actually understand and they're willing to say, you know, maybe at least hear you out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, but it's unfortunately just on a mathematical level misguided. I hear your point, but that's that's not the audience that needs to be addressed because the diehard Trump supporters, the 38, 40 percent, there's not going to be any convincing them anyway. The point that I'm making about eminent domain, about taking land, about putting up a wall that doesn't work. That's not just my opinion or my phrasing. That's actually the thoughts of Republicans who live along the border. If you actually talk to uh, Republicans who are in uh, not just border states, but right along the border, they agree with me. They don't agree with Donald Trump. And so actually, actually, I I would disagree with you on that. Sorry to to interrupt. I I would disagree with you on that. In so far as I'm hearing reports of both sides, that there are some ranchers out there that are like, yeah, I, I, I have a problem with this all the time. Well, we just talked through to, my land. Right. We just had somebody on the show about what, two weeks ago that lives 11 miles from the border to kind of get a different yeah. perspective on how things look from that general area down in South Texas. But, yeah. you know, I think the difference is, is that depending on where you're talking about is, is where the main issue is with the border wall. And I think that's something that needs to take into account. Now, if, if we're talking all the way across the Southern border and it's a big issue, I can understand the purpose of the wall actually being as big as a deal. But if we're talking certain, um, cities and certain towns, 
that really need this wall, then I can understand that. So by talking to the guests that we've had on the show and just kind of getting their perspective on what's going on in their towns, it's, it sounds like they need some reinforcement. Um, but I like, like I said, I don't think it's all the way across the southern border. Um, I, th- I just Like I said, I just think that it's in certain parts, and I think that's kind of what he's going for. But do I think the 5.7 is going to cover everything he wants? Probably not. But at the same time, too, it's, you know, we've discussed on the show, the wall is just a symptom of what's really going on and why people come here. So, you know, it's just one of those situations where until that's addressed and it's actually brought up and people understand that it's more than just a wall, it's just going to be going back and forth between Democrats and Republicans for votes is what it boils down to. Well, it's an interesting point you bring up, too, about the, the certain cities and towns versus the, the, the wall right there, because that's actually where Democrats and Republicans agree in Congress. Right. But Donald Trump is on a whole different page all by himself. So Democrats have actually said, yeah, if there are like spots where we need to put up, uh, you know, barriers or, we, you know, like what you described, we can we, fine. Let's sit down and talk about that and where those places are and how much money it's going to cost. That's a different thing than what Donald Trump is saying all by himself of and I'm quoting him here. A wall from sea to shiny, not shining, but shiny sea. <laughs> that, that, that's the difference. <laughs> that's now, the difference. <laughs> well, and, and my theory is is that Trump is is always been a builder. Okay, we all know this. He, he's that's has been his life, and I think that when it comes to the wall, this is a project for him, and I think that he wants to big the he wants to build this big, beautiful, lavish wall that he's been talking about. And if Trump had it his way, this thing would be plated in gold. Dude, and, dude now that now that you just brought that up, it just I just remembered when I read that the book. Uh, the, what the hell was the book years ago? Nineteen eighty four. No, no, the, the Trump's book. Um, I have Art it. of the Deal. Art of the Deal. Yeah, I read that book and I and I was going through it and and when you brought that up, I remembered. Yeah, every single challenge that he was trying to do in that was just him pushing through all bureaucracy and red tape, trying to get his buildings approved and finally succeeding. Like that was pretty much like all the chapters of the book back to back. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like I think, I, it was. It's a pattern. I, I get I, what you're saying. I think from a business standpoint, this is where we're seeing Trump wanting to tackle this. I don't necessarily think that it's it's about border security. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I think in a, in a, on a personal um, platform for him, this is his next project. This is him wanting to build Legacy. the next big thing. Legacy. Right. You know, we're going from hotels and, and towers to a wall. <laughs> you know, and I hate to say that. I mean, I'm a Trump supporter, but I honestly believe that's what Trump is wanting to do. You know, he, he wants to build something while he's in office. I, I mean... I hate to say that, but I think that's what I think. Some, some kind of lasting reminder of his that he even had a presidency. Some kind of well, yes, but <laughs> I get what you're saying. You know, I mean, the, the, the you know the guy's notorious for building skyscrapers and hotels and casinos. You know, and now he just wants to add a wall to that resume. That's just my personal thoughts on that. But and, can I can I ask you a question though about that? Because I don't I don't think yeah. you're wrong. I actually think that you're right. But I have a question for you about sure. that. Is there a is there a conflict there though when you know, he has and this is I'm not taking this lightly. This is quite serious. Mm-hmm. You know, Donald Trump has taken an oath to, you know, uphold the Constitution, defend the United States. If his own national security people are, are saying to him, we have these very real threats and this is not even on that list. And if we we do want to talk about the border, here's what will work better. Right. If he's ignoring all of that. Uh, which is, you know, matters of national security in order to fulfill his personal want of a wall 
is that not problematic? Does that does that not cause a conflict? Yeah, it causes a conflict because it, it, you, you kind of have to address the people that he has working side by side with him. You know, he obviously Trump is a very hard individual to kind of get past when it comes to to wanting to get things done. You know, when Trump gets something in his mind, he's going to do it. We all know this by now. But I think he needs the right people around him to say, look, man, this just this isn't going to work. You know, you're wanting to build this wall, but let's be realistic about this and let's go after the certain places and, and you know, in the certain towns that are really hit hardest the most and then kind of work out from there. I, I just, the thing that I, I, I love about Trump is that he, he is so unpredictable, but the thing I hate about him is that he's not listening to people. You know, that's why he was elected in office. And I, I, I can be critical of Trump sometimes too, but at the same time, it's like he really needs to step back and understand that, yes, he wants to build this wall it's what he promised the people but let, let's let's bring more dialogue between you know hit the people that he's got closest to him and you know and obviously the things that he's wanting to do but again right. it's just this ego that trump has about himself when he you know in my vision of of being trump it's like when he thinks of the wall he, he's just standing there with this big old grin and he's looking at the border and he's got this 50 foot wall you know with his name on it you know and and that for me it's it's feeding that ego that is trump and right. when you sit there and you go to all these rallies and then you're talking about build the wall build the wall and you have i don't know 15 20,000 people chanting that what does that do to your ego are you going to listen to anybody that's surrounding you when you've got 20,000 people that are chanting, build a wall, and it just does something for you? I'm sorry, but if I was Trump, I would I would feed off that energy, and I would want to get it done. I mean, that's just kind of what I take away and kind of what I've seen over the last two years of him being in office. And it's not just with the wall. It's with everything. You know, it's like Let when he – Huh? Let him talk to you. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess apparently I'm kind of getting long-winded here. Yeah, I was trying to be slick about it. I, I heard you try to cut in a couple times. I was like, it, "It's all right, man." I actually, I actually thoroughly enjoyed that Tennessee baritone. I really do. Yeah, he's got a great voice. He's got a great voice. I, I love listening. Like I, I, so I don't know if you, you know, John, John Meacham, the historian. He, um, you know, I, I got the audiobook version of his his latest uh, book. The, um, in search of our better angels or whatever it's called um but i got the audiobook version and so he does he reads the introduction and he's got his you know his tennessee accent and the baritone voice and it's like oh my god this is just awesome but after <laughs> chapter one it switched over to some paid narrator and i was oh, i was out walking oh no. my dog with my earbuds in and i think out loud i yelled something like son of a <laughs> i was so upset <laughs> <laughs> so no, I didn't mean to get long winded. I was just try- I was just trying to give you uh, some insight on on my thoughts when it comes to Trump and yeah. the law. So no, and I I hear what you're saying, but and you know, so I you know, full disclosure, obviously, I, I grew up in a different part of the country, right. and in the Northeast, we've we've seen Donald Trump. I mean, he's been nationally known, sort of, since the '80s, but in, in the Northeast, especially in New York, which I'm not from New York, I'm from Massachusetts, but he's been in the Northeast. He's been a known factor pretty much my entire life. And the thing is, is that, you know, the reason why no one, except for a couple small pockets in the Northeast, um, you, you know, voted for him is is because we've seen that shtick. So what you described as being the, you know, the same pattern over and over in the Northeast, we're like, yeah, that's that's kind of what we're saying. And there's there's you know, this is this is just who he is. 
And, you know, in terms of the whole building thing, I mean, it's his history is really a lot more checkered than that, honestly. I mean, he's he's not a builder by trade. He doesn't actually build. What he does is he uses his brand, he uses his marketing to license his name on different projects that other people are building. And it's a great business model if you know how to do it, I suppose. It's the same idea as like when you see uh, Martha Stewart towels in uh, department store, right? She didn't actually weave the towels, but she's licensing right. her name. It's the same idea. But all of that aside, what I'm I'm concerned about though is is that not listening. The same thing that you're saying. It's you know I had a conversation with a relative of mine, you know who's a conservative Republican, and we kind of had came to the same conclusion. Like, look, it's not even about partisanship at this point. It's about safety and security. If you have someone in charge, someone's supposed to be a leader. They're supposed to make decisions on all different topics. No one can be an expert in everything. It's why you have you know, a cabinet. It's why you have advisors around you. But if you're not going to listen to people who are experts in their own respective fields, that could really open us up to a lot of threats because someone doesn't want to listen. Right. And I also think that too, that maybe having somebody from the other side of things and in, in his cabinet to kind of give them a different perspective is also really good too. Hearing, you know, surrounding yourself with people that agree with you all the time about things is not good. I, I think that there needs right, to right. be some, <laughs> some difference of opinions. I, mean, I don't know what if that's you, true I don't or know not. what you're talking about. We, as don't, far as we, cap- don't, we don't do that here. No. We, yeah. We don't believe in having people with differing opinions. <laughs> so no, so before it's a, it's a beacon of intolerance i can tell so before we run out of before we run out of time you you had mentioned yeah. uh t- want to talk taxes as well i was just curious what you had in mind exactly oh geez that was a longer winded thing so i had had um the folks at indivisible georgia 11 plus some, fr- some friends from school and some other folks who were all asking me at once to do kind of a longer winded thing about taxes on, um, on my podcast. And then I think that's the point at which I saw you and I got rooped in together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I had, <laughs> I, mean, I had the we guy. Can keep on, we can keep on talking Trump. We can talk taxes. Really. My, my only thing about taxes was the fact that, um, I felt that people were arguing the issue without actually looking to history and without looking to evidence before just kind of having knee jerk reactions kind of thing. Yeah. I've never heard of anybody doing that. Like, <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> like, nobody, like people all, like everybody I know looks at all the facts and they do all the history and they do all the research. Um, totally. Let me, totally. Let me ask you this then. Cause I noticed you, you, you said you focus on uh, helping progressive leaders and I'm assuming yeah. when you say progressive, is that a big P progressive or is that like leaders who are just, you know, on the forefront? Like, what does that mean? Uh, so, yeah. So like the political affiliation type progressive for the most part. Yeah. So so what I do is on the electoral politics side of things, right, like getting people elected. Um, I work with Democrats, not Republicans, obviously. Um, right. No, no, I, I, I got, I got that. I was just, I just oh, wanted to kind of establish the. I'm using the, I'm, I'm understanding your use of progressive appropriately here. <laughs> so before, yeah. before I well, mo- it's actually move interesting. on, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that term right now is undergoing a shift 
I think that as we speak, it's being redefined by people who are in the public life right now at this very moment. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that what we actually come down on for a definition is going to change in the coming months and years, honestly. Like like when I sit there and listen to uh, right wing talk radio, for example, um, they, they seem to talk about the progressives and the leftists and the Democrats as one block of people. Like they all believe the same thing. They all want to, you know, socialize everything that they, they all want free health care for all. They, they all want, uh, you know, all these different platforms that, that like say Bernie Sanders was running on, for example. Um, and, and I've, the more, because I listen to multiple viewpoints. And so I've, yeah. I, I understand that there is a, a huge, deep, deep divide between the establishment Democrats and the progressives that are starting to kind of take, you know, come onto the scene more so nowadays, especially, sure. through, especially through, uh, I, I would say, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, through, uh, Gabby, uh, Oh, shoot, what's her name? <laughs> I'm having a brain fart again. <laughs> Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard, yeah, uh, which I heard her on the Joe Rogan podcast, and she sounded perfectly reasonable to me, except for the, you know, the, the idea of taking everybody's money and trying to redistribute it. I, I disagree with that stuff, but it, it is just interesting. I, w- I was curious what you're what you're seeing from your perspective when you're trying to explain to people that are on the on the right, for for instance, like this difference, like this this divide that's going on in the left right now. Yeah, so it's an it's an interesting. Uh, I wouldn't even say it's a divide. I think it's one of those. I think it's this moment of synthesis. I think it's this time where we're having kind of a, a necessary, healthy confrontation. Um, I think that you know a lot of the, the centrist. Democrats have been stuck in the same sort of pattern as a lot of establishment Republicans, where they basically get together in the Capitol, become buddy buddy, and they really fall out of touch. And the evidence of that is you would not have the rise of Trump or Sanders or, you know, right wing or, you know, left wing if it weren't for the fact that the people at large were dissatisfied. Right. I mean, that's I think we can all sort of agree on the fact that everyone had enough of the status quo. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just it's we're fed up with it. Right. So but what is different between sort of the more progressive Democrats and the more traditional ones is that the more progressive Democrats are really getting down to the heart of bread and butter economic issues for working families, which mainstream Democrats have kind of left behind since at least Clinton. And so it's just kind of getting back to what really matters. Right. And when it comes to the core economic issues, like the like everybody needing some form of healthcare, everybody you know needing to find a job and work, those sort of things, those are coming out of the left right now, but they pull way higher nationwide, regardless of party affiliation, than anything that you know the more centrist, the more establishment folks identify with. Yeah, so it's I, like, I understand right? where you're coming from on that. It's it's a matter of uh, I I would not be so surprised if the entire nation pulls positively on free stuff. You know, that that seems pretty obvious to, regardless of what side of the political divide you're on. Well, well, you say free, you say free. So does, does the U S Navy get free aircraft carriers? No, I'm no. When I, when I say free stuff, I, I don't, I know that it's not free. I, I think everybody, right. the, the, pla- free. the platform is free education for all free healthcare for all. And that is a total misnomer. And it frustrates the shit out of me to keep hearing yes. this platform yes. being put out because most people are just kind of, you know, go along to get along sheep that hear that term and go, yeah, I like free stuff. And they don't actually look into it. 
I would not call most Americans sheep, to be honest. I would not. I talk to them every day. I don't think that people are sheep. I think that people are, by and large, in our society right now, too stressed, overwork, have too many responsibilities, too much going on, and they don't have the bandwidth to always get down at the issues of policy. But I certainly wouldn't call them sheep. <laughs> I, I give I give you that, but a good thing I'm not running for political office, so I can get away with it. Uh, I, I, I still got to disagree with you. I, I would say I would say that uh, you know, especially since I'm coming from an anarchist standpoint, I would say that anybody who's a status is kind of a sheep because they kind of grew up and only knew this, and they're being led by the by the nose about all this political stuff, and it's like it doesn't when when you actually step back and look at the, the rational solutions behind everything like uh, the government doesn't solve problems the government is only there to take your money and tell you what to do and tell you how to live your life it's 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 a whole another uh, class of people that have a whole different set of rules that everybody else doesn't have so if you're an anarchist then and i'm just curious here because of you know you're not the first person i've met who identifies with that term what would be the alternative the the alternative to what people stealing society, stealing money government. <laughs> I mean okay so so like when when you hear anarchy uh, I guess the question would be I, I'm trying to keep this kind of short because we got to wrap it up here shortly but oh sorry yeah, yeah. Uh, no no you're, you're from, <laughs> well we'll definitely have to have another conversation about it but I was just wanting to give you a little perspective about where I'm where I'm playing from so that way you, you know I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, really into politics at all I'm more of a philosopher in terms of just you know looking at the the right. actual issues but right um the alternative to rape is lovemaking is kind of the, the the way I can sum it up in the short little soundbite for you um basically uh, there's there's a big difference between something being done by force and against your will than there is about something that you do willingly or you do of your own volition and when I don't have a choice to have money taken from me or my uh, the the product of my labor taken from me against my will, and it's used on things that I don't agree with, that will never agree with, and maybe even if it's used on stuff I do agree with, you know, I don't sit there and say, well, this thief took the money from me, but he's using it to help starving children, so it's okay. Like, like in, in my world, taxation is theft. I'm more of the libertarian bent of anarchism than the leftist, <laughs> if, you, if you would, but I, I, don't, I don't know if that helps sum it up at all for you at all, but... Oh, a little bit. Yeah, I'm just, I'm <laughs> there's, just a, there's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in that. I'm not. So, yeah, I'm, I see a part two to this segment. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be have a part two. So. But um, yeah, I was just I was just kind of curious where you come from on that stuff. Um, far as uh, far as progressive viewpoints and things, because uh, everybody everybody like I said, they they say it's it's free this, it's free that, and most people don't understand that that doesn't mean it's actually free. Free is the incorrect term to use, but it's an easy term. People fall for right. it, and people vote for it's, it. It's a, it's it's easy, but even I don't like the way it's being thrown around because, so for example, if you're talking about controlling the price of tuition, just as a random example, right? I'm all for saying debt free because you're saying you're you're free of the burden of debt, right? You're going to figure out a system where you can whatever it is, you can you can pay as much as you can or whatever it is, it's free of debt. But saying it is free college is a complete misnomer. What you're saying is that you're not going to have to take out student loans. It doesn't. Not taking out student loans does not make college free. Of course, same thing with 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 healthcare, right? My thing with healthcare is that there is a more efficient and effective way of paying for and delivering it on a nationwide scale Absolutely. than having a a completely decentralized. I would even call it lack of system in which you have competing interests, and not only that, you have 
you know, prices being artificially driven by wait, 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 actors. Did, did you just? I'm I'm sorry. Did you just say a, a decentralized system of competing interests? And you're saying that's not a good thing. Am I understanding you correctly? In healthcare, right. no, it's a terrible idea, absolutely terrible idea, and it's evidenced by the the fact that the United States pays twice as much f- per person on healthcare as other developed countries, and not even that. Let's, right? Let's just we, kind of yeah, but that would the, that would be assuming that we have a, a free market of of uh, healthcare, and we don't. We don't have that. We have no. a, a we have this kind of like hybrid government controlled, government regulated insurance mm-hmm. in the government's pockets type scenario, and that's not the same thing as as a capitalist solution at all. Right. But capitalism is for profit. And we're talking about right. healthcare here. My argument is that capitalism is great at showing me on Amazon.com what the next pair of sneakers are that I might like. Better when than better than anybody else. They do it better, better than, better than anybody else. When it comes else. to healthcare, education, bare necessities, no thank you. Oh yeah. So so in healthcare, what you would have was a, it would be more of a situation where I I am to compete with other other providers to provide better care and more timely manner, less waiting time room. You know, waiting in the waiting time. Shit, if I could talk, less waiting <laughs> in the waiting room. Excuse me. And uh, basically, just just uh, the, everything that you see in like say in the tech industry where people are t- constantly competing and innovating and coming with better solutions, faster solutions, solving people's problems in a competitive way, that's a great thing. And they do it for profit. And nobody complains when they're bitching about the healthcare system on their iPhone, like that, they, that their you know iPhone why? is not like that. That doesn't make you any sense. Why? Yeah, go ahead. Do you know why? Yeah, go because ahead. that person consensually purchased an iPhone because they wanted to. When you end up in the back of an ambulance having a heart attack, you have no consent, no say in the matter. You're not a consumer. You're at someone else's mercy. Right. Under the government's government solution at this point. Yes, that's absolutely correct. No, I agree with any you. solution. If you have a heart attack and you are away from home, you don't have your own doctor, you're getting sent to whatever emergency room is open. You're not a willing participant in a free market. You're at someone else's mercy. That's just the reality. Well, sure, sure. That, I bet I don't see I don't see how that would be solved or made better by a government solution versus a private market solution. Because you would have a, a spreading of the risk pool and you would not have a situation in which someone is able to usuriously take your money, put you in debt for life, possibly because of one bad misstep, because of one misfortune. And that's what we have right now. Yeah, that, that's what that's what private market health insurance would be for, like similar to auto insurance, the way we have that. I mean, if I get an accident, I, I'm I'm kind of at the mercy of somebody else and hoping that they drive correctly. I I mean, auto insurance works just fine. I mean, yeah, it does have some government regulations, but, you know, it's not I don't think it even needs to have that. But I'm just looking at there are solutions here that don't require the use of force to make them happen. I'm, I'm looking at it more from a moral level in terms of is it OK to steal money from other people to make this happen? Well, that's insurance. That's what insurance is. When you pay an insurance premium and you're healthy and you're not using it, that goes into a risk pool. And then the money is redistributed by definition of private sector insurance to other people who are who are taking out claims at the same time as you're paying in your premium. So that's any risk sharing scheme, whether you want to call it public insurance, private insurance, HMO, whatever. That's the reality of risk sharing. Right. That's what, that's what yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree with you. The, dif- the difference is, is one is voluntary and one is not. That's where I that's where I start having the issue. Right. But I start having the issue where we start saying that a heart attack is voluntary when it's not that a bad misfortune, something that you cannot possibly handle on your own is 
fallen on you by an act of God, by randomness, what, whatever you want to call it. Sure, that sure. is where, that is where the analogy between the, the free market industries like high tech and it's bare essentials like medicine fall apart. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I would ever call a heart attack a voluntary solution or a voluntary no, no, event. That, like, yeah. I just want to be careful that we're not mischaracterizing my arguments in this case because that's absolutely no, no, not no, what no, I'm no, saying. No, 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 not at all, not at all. all right. But what I'm saying though is that the difference is that when you're talking about a free market, right? Markets have actors, right? And actors come in voluntarily because they're in search of goods or they're in search of customers for their goods, right? Right. When you're talking about healthcare, though, that analogy fails because patients are not there because they want to be sick. I don't want to be sick. You don't want to be sick. You're not an active and willing participant in a free market. You are someone in need, and it's not oh, the sure. same thing. It's I don't. Not a- I don't want to be at an auto repair shop getting my bumper fixed either. But sometimes that just that's just stuff that happens. You know, that's why I'm responsible. Responsible, and that's why I have purchased insurance. And I would argue that if if we had more of a private market solution, the insurance rates, the skyrocketing insurance rates that we see right now, would not be even an issue. This, this would be something that would be much much more affordable, as we've seen in every other sector, where you you know the less government intervention you have, the the cheaper the prices get. They start out high at first when the technology is new, but they always 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 tend to drop down and become more affordable and more competitive. And the amount of profits you can earn from it ends up lessening as more competitors enter the field you know and, and it's interesting. but that's the benefit of you know having a wonderful federal government that actually funded the underlying research for things like the internet global positioning satellites and all the technologies that they cash in for for free out at apple and ibm and these other companies that piggyback on <laughs> taxpayer funded industry now that, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a faulty argument in insofar as that to, to say that the government solved a problem means that this problem would have never been solved otherwise that's a you see the fallacy there don't you no, you see that that's complete nonsense because you, you, there's not there was not a problem to be solved. The government invested in research that at the time of its undertaking was not profitable and therefore would not have been undertaken by profit-seeking entities like private corporations. Once those technologies matured and became marketable, then at that point – private companies began investing in technologies that the government had already invested in, had already developed through public universities and the military. That's what happened. Yeah, I I totally get where you're coming from. I think you're setting up kind of a false dichotomy where if the government didn't do it, it wouldn't be done. And that's just, and that's that's even to say that who's to say that the solution the government came up with or the the problem they solved or whatever the case was, who's to say that that's even the most effective solution? Maybe we would be 20 years ahead of our time in other arenas because say, we could probably have flying cars by now if the government had to come in and paved roads and now we're so invested in roads that we create cars to go on the roads. And maybe that's, you know, you kind of get what I'm saying. I'm trying to shorten it up so we can hop off here. I, if, if we got to go, I know that it's about to start. Yeah, it's so about to start. Go. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to have you back on. I'm, I'm actually having a, a, a fantastic time, uh, you know, bantering back and forth with you on this and, and, and volleying this. This is a great definitely. fun. I, I hope I hope the feeling is mutual. <laughs> yes, and and it's great. It, it is great because we can show people that yeah we can disagree. We can have these conversations. I'm, I don't feel like strangling you at least not yet. And you know we're we're getting along fine. <laughs> but at any rate, I'd like to, I'd like to thank Christian Hanley from Defiant Strategies for uh, coming on the show today. And if there's a, where 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 can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Oh, just uh, go on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian Hanley official. And I'm on Twitter at Hanley tweets. Although, like I said, I'm not a Twitter fan, so I might not get back to you right away. (laughs) All right, man. I sure appreciate it. You guys have been listening to another episode of the Unframe of Mind show where we have uncomfortable conversations. And as usual, if you would like to be a guest on the show, please head over to the unframeofmind.com website and 
fill out the form and let me know what you want to talk about. I'll be glad to have you on and we'll have a similar discussion if you so choose and uh, we'll just have fun with it. So y'all have a good night. Later.